uh, to you all. Um, I always miss church when I'm not here. Um, it's not very often that I'm not here, um, which I'm sure you're all very pleased about that. Um, but it's always good to come back and worship God. I think special about worshiping uh, with lots of other Christians. And, uh, and often people will say, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And that's true. You don't have to be a church, regular churchgoer to get into heaven. And being a regular churchgoer doesn't mean you're going to heaven when you die. But you'll struggle to have a, a rich Christianity um, on your own in a living room when you could be here amongst your brothers and sisters and worshipping God together. And um, it's really good. So it's really good to be back. So uh, thank you for not locking us out when we returned. Um, we're going to pray as we look at God's word together just for a few minutes. So should we pray? Father, we thank you. Lord, we can worship you. We can lift up your name. And Lord, we thank you that, Lord, our own strength, Lord, is not what we depend on. Lord, we depend on the power and the, the might of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to just be the sort of church that's open to whatever you want to do. But Father, your spirit has that um, freedom is the wrong word. But Lord, access to each one of our hearts, Father. May we come into this place every Sunday with no brick walls. Lord, just open-hearted, ready, Lord, to hear what you want to say to us, challenge us, comfort us, receive, uh, or just lead us into something new, Lord, for the coming week. And we just really thank you, Lord, that this is something special we do on a Sunday morning. It isn't just another thing on our to-do list. It isn't just another club that we attend, Lord. This is family plus. Lord, this is something of the kingdom of God expressed on a Sunday morning. And we thank you, Lord, that there is nothing like church. Lord, make us uh, the church you want us to be, we pray. And we just pray now as we look at your word together. Lord, your same Holy Spirit, um, who I believe works in all of our service, I pray he would work now in our hearts as we look at these verses together. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll ask you a rhetorical question. I say rhetorical because once I was in a sermon and somebody asked a rhetorical question and I put my hand up and answered it. And, uh, and there was a slightly awkward silence when uh, he looked at me as if to say, you, you can, you know. Anyway, it, wasn't, it was a rhetorical question. So when do you think a person is closest to God? It's a rhetorical question. <laughs> Unless you want to put your hand up, we can do like a one-to-one, that's okay. But when does a person feel closest to God? Or if you were to ask somebody in the street, when do you suppose a Christian feels their most holy or their most committed to their God or their closest to their creator? Well, understandably, most people would probably say you feel closest to God when things are going well. When stuff's going well, you feel closest to God. When life's going according to plan, most people would probably say you feel closest to your creator. Maybe you might say someone might feel close to God when they've just received good exam results. And we pray that our young people get good exam results uh, this summer, but if not, don't panic. Um, I didn't get good exam results, and I turned out okay. I let God define my future. uh, and let him define yours as well if things don't go according to plan. Maybe you get into the university that you've been desperate for since year seven or something. And uh, people might say, well, you get the university you want, therefore you feel really close to God. Or maybe you get tapped up for that promotion at work. That's when you feel closest to God. Or maybe you're a bit older and you've just had a week where you don't ache as much in your lower back or your knee joints when you get out of bed. Or maybe you're not older, maybe you're younger and you have that problem. Um, And maybe you just think, oh, I feel close to God because my body works. Or maybe your finances are in a good place. You've paid off a bit of your debt that you owe or you've got a bit more disposable income. And I reckon the majority of people, if you were to stop them in the street and say, when do people feel closest to God? They would probably say, when things are going well. My aunt, who I know I've mentioned a few months ago, is slowly dying of terminal cancer. Um, I'm not sure how long she has left, 
It seems to be a very slow deterioration, but she is dying. There is no other way around it. That is what's happening to her. And I went to see her a short time before we went off to Italy, and we had a conversation, and, uh, and I asked her what it was like, what it felt like. And she's a committed Christian. Um, if it wasn't for my aunt and uncle's prayers, I probably wouldn't be standing here um, this morning. So if you ever meet them, you can blame them. Um, but I asked her, do you feel close to God? Because it doesn't make any sense, does it? You're dying. You're only young, only in your sort of mid to late 60s. You wouldn't feel close to God then, surely. I said to her, do you feel close to God? And she said, yes, very much so. And she went on to say that she felt God's presence in a way that she hadn't done before. How amazing is that? As Christians, we can sometimes fall into the very worldly way of thinking that equates things going well as a sign that God must be near us. That God must be with us. Things are going well, therefore I'm very close to God at this precise moment. And equally, we could fall into the wrong thinking of thinking when things go wrong, therefore God is far away from me. And we'll look at a passage this morning, just for a few minutes, that turns that whole idea on its head. The idea that we're closest to God, in fact, not when we're strong, but when we're weak, when we're oppressed. And when we feel broken, making the claim that for the Christian, when they are weak, they are in fact the strongest they could ever possibly be. And some of you here today have lived as Christians under a false perception that God is only close to you when it's going well according to your plan. But when it doesn't, God is not very close to you. That he's drifted from you when things go wrong. So today as we hear Paul the Apostle in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to open to it now, that'd be great. Um, as we hear him respond to taunts from people in the church in Corinth, take on board that trouble and pain are often actually moments in our lives when we experience God on a level of intimacy and trust with God like no other time in our lives. We're very quick in the West. We're not used to trouble. We, we, we've actually had it very comfortable for a long time. When things go wrong, it, it shatters our kind of worldview. But actually, trouble is everywhere. And the Bible seems to make the claim fairly regularly that actually it's in our darkest moments that we see the light of God most clearly. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 11 and 12, I won't read them all, don't worry, um, are a really interesting end to Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. As you remember, Paul um, started a church in Corinth. He went there and he went, went, away, went away again. And uh, when he left, uh, a group of people kind of got into the church and there was some all, all sorts of trouble in the church of Corinth. We really should go through the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians because they were an absolute mess of a church. You think that we have moments where we don't do it very well. The church of Corinth make us look like a, uh, the best church the world's ever seen. They're an absolute mess. Frankly, a bit of a shower at times, let's be honest. And so as Paul leaves, um, this group of people kind of come into the church and they begin to put him down. They begin to say pretty not very nice things about Paul. They begin to say to the Christians in that church, this Paul bloke, what are you listening to him for? He's rubbish. I didn't use that word. I don't think that's in the Greek. But they basically slip in and they say things like, he's not very impressive. He's a bit boring to listen to. The way he speaks is pretty unimpressive. He's pretty ordinary. Why are you listening to him when there are so many people out there that you can listen to? Chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, verse 1 Paul kind of hints at things that have been said. He says, By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. Clearly, 
people have been saying, you know, when he's with us, he's all shy and retiring, but when he leaves, he writes pretty bold things in his letters. In chapter 10, verse 10 of the same, same chapter, he says, For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive, and his speaking amounts to nothing. Imagine, what a terrible thing to write about Paul the Apostle of all people. His speaking amounts to nothing. Rubbish, boring to listen to. And chapter 11, verse 6, Paul says, I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. So clearly people are saying, he's not even been properly trained. Why on earth are you listening to that guy? So this group rise up and they put Paul down. They kind of slander him in their absence, in his absence. But Paul, when he went to that church, didn't go to show off. He didn't go to prove to the Corinthian Christians how knowledgeable he was, how eloquent he was. He came with one very specific mission. In chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, he says, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on the power of God. The problem was that the culture of the city where this church was in Corinth, by way of a little bit of background, um, is that they weren't particularly impressed with humility or unassuming people. In Corinth, they worshipped the Greek god Aphrodite. The Greek god Aphrodite was the Greek god of love, beauty, pleasure, and sex. And that meant that the city and its culture were obsessed with sex and pleasure and the beautiful body that people were desperate to have with it. Does it remind you of the UK at all? We're a bit sex crazed. We're a bit obsessed with uh, being ripped and shiny. Uh, I gave up on that years ago. Well, not the shiny bit. That still seems to happen. But um, I just didn't bother with the ripped bit that goes with it. Um, So in this city, there's a real culture that had a lack of moral restraints, particularly when it came to sex. And they were particularly impressed, the Corinthian people, with anyone that could speak eloquently. If you could deliver a good message eloquently, any message, and you had a body that went with it, the body of a Greek Adonis, they were well impressed. If you had a six-pack and you could deliver a good talk, the Corinthians were all over it, well impressed. And the problem with those attitudes came into the church. And so some people in this church are saying, look at him, funny-looking bloke, not very, not very interesting to listen to. Why are you listening to him? So they put him down. And uh, Paul uh, denounces them at the end of, uh, in chapters 10, 11, and 12. And uh, I won't read what I was going to read because it's a whole thing. He could boast. He could boast about his experiences with God. He could boast about the power of God. But he says something really interesting to these Corinthian Christians in chapter 11, verse 30. After giving them a real outline of all the things he could boast about, and his strengths and his powers and all of his giftings. He says this in chapter 11, verse 30. If I must boast, not you lot, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Paul boasted not in his strengths, like the Corinthians were so used to, but he boasted in what he was rubbish at, boasted in his weakness, boasted in what he didn't do very well. Can you imagine boasting about your weaknesses more than your strengths? When the last time someone said to you, what do you, what, what do you like as a person? You don't turn around and say, well, I'm not very good at certain things. You say, oh, I'm, I'm good at this, or I'm particularly great at this. Last weekend I did that. Can you imagine going for an interview 
In fact, at every single interview, you get asked one dreaded question, don't you? You get the obvious question. Corinne knows you've had it as well. Um, tell me, what, what are your weaknesses? In fact, I remember Margaret Hill um, asking me at my interview here in the hall next door. She said to me, what are your weaknesses? And I remember looking at her and saying, I'm not telling you. And so what we all do as mature human beings, confident in our abilities and trusting in the, in, the, in the sovereignty of God, is we make up some old trite nonsense about working too hard, caring too much, and never really stopping for the organisation. And I think I said something along those lines, but Margaret let it go. Bless her. <laughs> um, but can you imagine going into an interview and saying, well, actually, yeah, I'm, uh, I've got a pretty short temper. You know, and uh, I guarantee you, boss, when I start working here, if someone gives me more work when I'm a bit stressed, I'm probably going to shout at them. And actually, to go with it, I'm, I'm a terrible gossip. I'm going to be sitting by the coffee machine, and I tell you, whatever you tell me in confidence, I'm going to be whispering to the, the guys around the coffee machine, saying, you never guess what they did last weekend, and putting it on my Facebook account, and all sorts of things. And to go along with that, my short temper, my, my terrible gossip, uh, by three o'clock, I've had enough. I won't lie to you. I know we finish at six, but as soon as you walk... Well, two things, actually, Gov. Um, by three o'clock, I'm only going to be pretending to work. Uh, and if I do work, it'll be very slowly, because I get a bit tired and I need to have a rest. Um, and if you ever leave early, that's it. YouTube videos, Facebook accounts, and checking my next holiday destination. I'm not sure you get the job. Not really. You probably wouldn't. But Paul is only too happy to boast to these Christians who are so impressed with strength and eloquence in his weaknesses. Why? Because Paul, in his weak times, had enjoyed already some of the richest moments with God. Not at the height of his strength, but when he was at his most weak, when he was troubled, when he was oppressed. He'd already known the intimacy with God that trumped every other experience think about that for a second isn't this potentially liberating that when we're weak we're strong that when we're at our most weak god is close to us some of our most glorious moments might be when life has fallen apart around us ponder that that god desires to be closer to you than a brother in moments when you are at your most weak doesn't that excite you doesn't that give you a bit of hope people take their own life when they've got nothing left People fall apart and are depressed when they've got nowhere else to go. But for the Christian, when we have nowhere else to go, at the bottom of the pit, at the bottom of the barrel, God is all there. Isn't that good news? Isn't it amazing to say that when someone says to you, I've got nowhere else to go, you can say, you don't have to go anywhere because I know someone who knows everything and has everything and can be your strength when you have nothing left to give. He is, this is good news. People take their lives, as I've said, because they lose their strength. But when we lose our strength and we are weak, Paul says, then I am strong. Most Christians don't get it. And I think, I don't know why, but maybe we've not experienced. When we, but when you do experience genuinely tough times, the stories I hear from people is often that, yeah, then God was there. And I saw him and I met him and he was my strength. And we fear things going wrong, but we needn't fear things going wrong because God is bigger than even our worst situation and so as if Paul wants to really make this point clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 he says something really interesting he describes one of his best experiences and something he describes that he a terrible experience he went through uh, described as a thorn in his flesh and I'll read to you it's only 10 verses 2 Corinthians 
chapter 12, verse 1 to 10. Um, and he says, I must, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, to keep me from, boast, from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Clearly, that man that had that vision of heaven, whether in the body or out of it, he's not even sure, is clearly poor. Um, but he's trying to kind of play it down because he doesn't want to come across like he's boasting to these Corinthians. But he has these two experiences, one where he sees heaven and the other one where he has this massive thorn in the flesh, not literally a thorn, but something in his life that makes him go, ouch, and makes him feel down and depressed. And he has them both in the same passage. It's almost like Paul's saying to the Corinthians, you boast about that one, but I boast about this one. It's almost like he wants us to compare the two experiences to say it wasn't when I was in heaven that I felt closest to God, but it was when the thorn was ripping through my flesh and I felt powerless. That's where I felt closest to God. Some speculate this thorn in his side and his flesh may have been something like malaria that he caught in one of his missionary journeys. It wouldn't be a sin because I believe God would want him not to live with it, but to deal with it. I believe it must have been something physical, and most people say some sort of physical ailment or some sort of pain, maybe like malaria, but something, whatever it was, got him down. And you get a real sense in verse 8 of just how he was feeling. And he says in verse 8, doesn't he, um, three times, three times I asked God to take it away. I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times he begs God. I find that interesting in itself, only three times. I'd ask God every day. But Paul had a more mature heart than perhaps most of us. He learned to accept that this is what God had, and he learned to trust in God's sovereignty. Maybe someone, some of you this morning have had something in your life, a thorn in your flesh, that you've been begging God to take away. Maybe you have a hard time reconciling a loving God as you perceive him with what you're going through. Maybe you think, well, how can this God that I trust to be good let this thing continue in my life? But the Bible is clear, isn't it, that this world is broken. Jesus himself says that in this life we will have trouble. Romans chapter 8 talks of our bodies and our creation groaning for the return of Jesus. Our world is broken. It's broken for Christians. It's broken for non-Christians. Even super-Christians go through hard times. Read Hebrews 11 when you get home and see all that list of these super-great Christians. Even one of them was sawed in two. Can you imagine that? That must hurt, I'm guessing. But... 
He cries out to God at his lowest moment and something amazing happened. God spoke to him. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. I think that's amazing. What I love actually, number one, is that God allows us to speak to him in our frustrations and our anger. God allows us to say, why? Why are you doing this, Lord? Why is this happening? We're allowed to be honest and open with our God. So often Christians don't like to say the wrong thing. So we always say the right thing. But the problem with saying the right thing, you don't always mean the right thing. And so you end up with a, a mask on, which you shouldn't have. Read Habakkuk, read Job, read some of the Psalms, and hear people time and again say, Lord, why? Why is this happening? Only when you say that, be prepared to trust in God's sovereignty and God's answer for your question, why? Are you struggling with a thorn this morning? Is there something in your life that makes you cry out, help, take it away, Lord? Be ready to hear his answer. My grace is sufficient for you. He cries out, my grace is sufficient for you in the perfect tense in Greek, which means it's not just a phrase for then, it's a phrase for every Christian that's ever lived, every person that's ever lived. The grace that got Paul through it is the grace that will get you through it if you trust in God. He goes on to say, my power is made perfect in weakness. And that simply means that when we're weak, we experience the full scope of God's power. In his weakest moment, when Paul had no more strength, he depended fully on the power and the grace and the love of God. And as Jeremiah chapter 29, um, verse 13, hang on, chapter 29, verse 13 says, makes a promise. God says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Paul had absolutely nothing left with this thorn in his flesh, but all he had was all of God, and that's all he needed. The thorn remained, and so did God. His closest moment was during his weakest experience. And so to these sex-crazed, easily impressed Christians in Corinth who think he's weak, Paul declares, yes, I am. And then in verse 10, he says something even more amazing. He says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Whilst we're on holiday, um, I did read a Christian book, you'll be pleased to know. I didn't just do nothing. Um, I read a book um, from a guy called John Kirby, or Kirkby, I forget how you pronounce his name. Um, he started an organization um, about 20 years ago called Christians Against Poverty. Some of you have heard of it, hopefully. Some of you, just two of us. Okay, yeah, anybody else? Uh, just a few of us? Okay, good, thank you. Um, Christians Against Poverty. I've been going uh, 15, or well, maybe 20 years. And, uh, and he got into massive debt. His whole life fell apart. He became a Christian. And uh, he was able to, with a bit of help, get himself out of debt, get himself back on the straight and narrow. And he felt God call him to start uh, something called Christians Against Poverty, where they were going to go and they were going to get people out of debt. And Christians Against Poverty have made a, such a huge dent um, in poverty, not just in England, but across the globe, in fact, that many secular organizations wax lyrical about how fantastic it really is. And if you're ever in any debt, ring them up. If you know if anyone needs any help, ring them up, uh, and they will help you. And they're absolutely brilliant. But what you don't know from just seeing his face there, but you only know from his diary entries in his book, is that for 13 years, at the beginning of Christians Against Poverty, he was skint. And I don't mean skint like some of us might think skint means. I mean there were some Friday afternoons when he had £13 in the bank. 
or 30 pounds in the bank. Or it would be his daughter's birthday and they had zero money. They'd have nothing for food on the table. And as the organisation got bigger and bigger and bigger and they started employing people, they would have bills for £300,000 and they would get to a Friday, the day before it had to be paid, and they would have nothing in the bank. And for 13 years, he was weak. And for 13 years, God's word kept saying to him, trust in me, trust in me, trust in me. And it was hard work. But Christians Against Poverty grew with that level of faith. And that's in their DNA right now. And God always provides. Some of us here this morning are going through genuinely rough times. You have thorns in your flesh that hurt and have even made you question God. And you must remember, we must all remember that life is hard. That the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. We must do away with the incorrect notion that Christianity is a free pass through life and hurt and struggle. Christians get ill. Christians get made redundant. Christians struggle. Fact. We must remember that when we're empty, however, God is full. That when we have nothing, God has everything. He may not heal you when you want. You may not get the instant provision that you've been craving, but he will not go anywhere. He may be teaching you about trust and character and powerful faith because dynamic, world-changing faith doesn't grow ever in comfort. There are no comfortable Christians who have changed the world, only uncomfortable Christians because real faith is made on the knife edge of difficulty and struggle and oppression. That's why we should despise the comfort that the West has enjoyed for so long because the church is often blunt and we should be sharp. Don't despise what struggles may come because God may be using them to make us the strongest we've ever been. So when we say, okay, God, I'm yours, I'm all yours, you're my only hope and I'm going to trust in you alone, I believe then you will see God move when you put down your own strength and rest in his paul learned not to resent his troubles but to boast about them to be content in them because he saw and sought god in it and if you've got a real struggle this morning make it your daily practice to meditate say out loud that verse my grace is sufficient for you and turn it on yourself god's grace is sufficient for me say it over yourself every single morning and trust it Trust it through the hard times and the easy. Every day, don't just ask God always to solve your problems, but ask him to grow your faith and to experience him in the midst of them. I remember in my previous church when Hannah Marie didn't sleep. No, she still doesn't sleep. No, she does now. But when they were very young, my two, they didn't, we didn't sleep for about 10 years. Um, so which is why when anyone's got young kids in this church, whenever, they, um, whenever I hear children not sleeping and I laugh, that's not because I don't care. It's because I've been there and that's the laugh of a man that relieved to have come out the other side. You do come out the other side eventually. It just feels like about 30 years, even though they're only that big. And I remember saying to a woman at my church, Sheila Jolliffe, and she was one of those people that always sort of taught, told me off somehow. And I said to her, will you please do me a favor and pray that a girl sleeps tonight? I've had enough. And she said to me, I thought, oh, here we go again. Um, can't you just do it and be done with it? But she said, no, why don't you pray that when she wakes up, you enjoy spending time with her? I'm not as good a Christian as she is, because at three in the morning the next night, I didn't enjoy spending time with her. But her, what she was trying to say was, actually, rather than resent what's happening, why don't you ask God to bless it and make it a, a rich experience somehow? Only God can do that. We've got to put down our anger at God for the thorn in the first place so that we can receive his grace and know his power fully.
We know um, in this church we have a little prayer team on Sunday mornings. They sit at the front, um, and I think it's Corinne and Andrea and Janice possibly. Um, so they're going to be at the front. And I know that um, some of you here this morning are going through some genuinely difficult moments. I know some of you here have a thorn in your flesh, and you are wondering where God is in all of it. You are wondering why God has not taken it away. You've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and maybe you've fasted, maybe other people have prayed, and it hasn't gone. And you're wondering why God hasn't taken it away. And maybe you feel angry at him this morning. Maybe you're fed up and you're angry at God. And that's okay. As long as in your anger you don't sin. It's okay to have those emotions. Um, God knows you've got them already, so there's no point pretending. What we're going to ask you to do as we, as we sing, as we come to the end of our next couple of songs, is just come down the front. Corrie and Andrew and Janice aren't counsellors. You're not bearing his soul if you don't want to. They're not going to give you any magic answers, but just someone to listen to. Sometimes it's good to say to another Christian, another member of your family, I'm really angry at God this morning. I'm really angry with him because this has gone on for 10 years and I'm tired. Say it out loud. Don't be embarrassed and pray together and just say, Lord, bless that person. And they'll pray that God will bless you and be with you. Or maybe this morning something's happening in your life and you're confused. You're just you're not angry at God, but you're confused. You don't understand why. Again, bring it forward and pray with them. If you want to pray with somebody else in the congregation, that's also fine as well if they're happy to. But I really feel it's important that today of all Sundays that you actually pray with someone if there's something genuinely digging into your soul and causing you spiritual harm. God is there already. He knows all about it. And he is your grace and your strength. Can we stand just before we sing? I want to pray for all of us before we do that. So we're going to sing a couple of songs, um, and maybe if Corinne, Janice, and Andrew could come down the front, um, just in, in those two songs. And if you want to come during the song, that's okay. If you want to wait till the end, that's all right. But they'll be here fairly early on. Um, so if you feel more comfortable just coming as everyone's singing and not really paying attention, that's fine. Um, sorry, maybe if you could go. If the three prayers could go down the front now, sorry. <laughs> um, and then if you want to come forward and just pray with them, that's okay. Or you can wait till the end. But. Just share it with another Christian is a good thing to do. But I want to pray just before we, we sing. Shall we just pray together? Father God, we, Lord, we speak, um, we spoke, Lord, we've spoken about the thorn in the flesh of Paul. And we know, Lord, that he went through all sorts of terrible experience, Lord. And he, he wrote in 2 Corinthians about being shipwrecked, about being stoned, about being beaten up, flogged, whipped, put in prison. And Lord, all of that, Lord, he counted as a blessing to serve his king. But Father God, not every thorn is an oppression and opposition to our faith. Sometimes, Lord, it is our health, it is our family, Lord, it is our work situation, it is our finances. Lord, it is something that someone's saying about us. It might be a physical thing like Paul. Father God, but whatever that thorn is, Lord, you haven't changed. You never change. And Lord, your desire is to be our strength in these difficult moments. So Lord, just as we before we sing Father I want to pray for everybody in this room including myself for those moments Lord where we find it most tough we find life most difficult Father God be our strength I pray may we know that your grace is sufficient for everything that we go through may we dare to trust you may we cry out Lord I've got nothing left but you Father God you are our rock not when things go well but when things are terrible and I pray you bless everyone here this morning that is going through genuinely tough times that they would know your strength today In Jesus' name, amen.